1: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With with Bruce
2: Pritchard, and uh, that's week two, Bruce. I'm excited to to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm excited to be here, and thank you to everybody that downloaded the show, subscribed, and left a review on iTunes. Man, we were in the top ten. That's That's, a big
1: deal, man. You know, I don't know how the algorithm works, but I know a high rating is good. So thanks for everyone who tuned in. Thanks for everyone who subscribed. Please tell a friend. I really do believe this is going to be like the best smart mark podcast of all. On that note, let's go to the main event of what happened when, and this week we're covering a big one, Bruce. It's WrestleMania four to WrestleMania five. We're calling it When the Mega Powers Explode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our favorite segment here on the Bruce Pritchard Show that we call Something to Wrestle With. And uh, this is where we get in our way back machine and we ask Bruce, what happened when? So, Bruce, this week, uh, this was actually a suggestion on Twitter, and you can check us out on Twitter at Pritchard Show uh, or just use the hashtag know on Twitter. Uh, but this one is actually a suggestion from Twitter and they want to talk about what happened when the mega powers exploded and Bruce, you were there, uh, coming up in 1987 as we roll on into 1988 as WrestleMania four in Atlantic city, New Jersey. Uh, the macho man defeats Ted DiBiase in the finals of the tournament to decide the new heavyweight champion. It's macho man. And as we uh, leave the air of WrestleMania four, we see three people in the ring And they're the Macho Man, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, and Miss Elizabeth. So kind of curious from there, Bruce, this is probably one of the best angles you guys pulled off in your early tenure. Would you agree?
2: Well, believe it or not, you know, it was actually not just an angle. It it was a story that built over an entire year from one WrestleMania to the next WrestleMania with an even an eye towards the future after that and and the idea was here's Randy Savage your new champion Hulk was kind of passing the torch if you will but but Hulk was going on doing movies Hulk was doing some other things and it was time for a change and to try something else and Randy was that guy and it was 1988 Wrestlemania 4 and the dawn of a new era and, and the macho man but at WrestleMania 4, what was really being built at that point was to get to WrestleMania 5.
1: So did you guys already know that you were coming back to Atlantic City and using the same venue and all that for 5 at that point? Did y'all work out like a two-for-one deal with Donald?
2: You know what? I don't really even remember at that point what you know what that deal was, if there even was a deal for WrestleMania 5. We did have an idea at that point that we were going to go with... Randy versus Hulk at WrestleMania Five with Randy making the switch back to being a heel, and it was the build to Randy being a babyface had started prior to WrestleMania Four with Randy being a honky tonk man for the Intercontinental Championship and kind of being you know Hulk helping him along the way and getting to WrestleMania Four and Hulk's eliminated and Randy's the champion and, and it put the spotlight on Randy and Liz. And at the time, Randy and Liz were a hot act. I mean, they they were a they were a hot act in WWE.
1: So let's talk about that for a minute because I think a lot of people forget that the Macho Man was not always a babyface. I mean, in the early WrestleManias, he was a heel. Most people remember his match at WrestleMania three with Ricky Steamboat, and he was clearly the heel there. Uh, and then he took what seemed like a one year hiatus to go babyface uh, for WrestleMania four. And then he's right back to being a heel for WrestleMania five. And that will continue, uh, with WrestleMania six and even seven. Uh, so through a lot of his, you know, most of his WWF career, he was a heel, but you mentioned it. So I've got to follow up because I know you love addressing the rumors and innuendo through the years. There has been a wrestling legend that has kind of grown that the only reason that WrestleMania four main event worked out the way it was, is because on that Saturday night's main event you mentioned with Honky Tonk Man, where he smashed the guitar over his head, supposedly Honky Tonk Man refused to drop the title that night, and that changed the course of history. Now, I know you're going to address this, but I want to get all the details out there. Uh, Supposedly, uh, someone was leaving. They wanted to put the Intercontinental title on someone just long enough uh, to go ahead and have Randy win it. Uh, Randy was not afforded that opportunity, And the plans for Million Dollar Man to be champion at WrestleMania and win the tournament then went out the window. And instead, uh, the Million Dollar Man got a million dollar belt, never got his shot at the big belt. Honky Tonk remained the champion until the summer. uh, And for whatever reason, Macho Man now found his way into the main event. So what really happened with that whole situation?
2: Well, to tell you what really happened, I think there was a situation where Butch Reed was in the hunt, and Butch Reed was going to be the Intercontinental Champion, defeating Ricky Steamboat. Butch didn't show up for TV. The move was made to the honky-tonk man. There were a lot of dominoes that kind of fell all along the way that made it all kind of happen. And
1: the first domino was Ricky Steamboat, so let me ask on that. Uh, what was Ricky's reason for dropping the belt to Butch Reed? If memory serves, uh, he would show up uh, not too long after that uh, in the um, Jim Crockett promotion again and resume his feud with Ricky Steamboat from earlier in the 80s. And people remember the great matches they had in 89. But uh, what was Steamboat's
2: deal? Why was he on the way out there? Well, uh, Steamboat had asked for his notice, and Steamboat was ready to leave. I, I think there were some issues with. Ricky's wife at the time, and Ricky was unhappy, and Vince didn't like unhappy people around him. So Ricky wanted to leave. Vince gave him his release and allowed him to leave. So, But Ricky was a champion at the time, the Intercontinental champion. He had to take the belt off of Ricky sure. to move on. So it was simply one of those situations where Steamboat was unhappy where he was and wanted to move on.
1: Is it fair to say, because I want to dig into this, because I think sometimes people, you know, automatically think of WCW and the WWF in the Attitude Era, where seemingly guys were leaving the WWF to jump to WCW for more money. That was not the case in 1988 at all. Uh, the, it seemed at the time that there was a clear line that if you went to New York, you made a lot more money. And, and he's one of the only guys I remember thinking about, or off the top of my head that I can think of who would have said, you know what, no, I'm leaving and I'm going south for, I
2: assume, more money? Well, I don't – maybe it was. He might have had a promise of more money down south at the time. I I don't really know what his motivation was other than he was unhappy where he was. And the opposite was happening more often than not when guys coming from the south to come up and work for the WWF. So, it wasn't you know, okay, we lost one, but we gained probably gained four in the exchange, if you will, but Steamboat just wasn't wasn't happy, and Vince is the kind of guy you're not happy go go be happy somewhere or go be unhappy somewhere else. It seems like that's somewhat of a trend
1: when we had Ricky Steamboat on Rick Flair's podcast last year, which is now available on the m l w radio network right here uh he said that the reason he left. Jim Crockett promotions and the NWA to go to the WWF originally, uh, was because he assumed he was in line for a us title shot and never was afforded that opportunity. And then, uh, Tully Blanchard won the belt right away. Uh, and he felt like the writing was on the roll was on the wall as far as dusty being the booker. But now here he's in a very prominent match at WrestleMania three and drops the belt or doesn't drop the belt, uh, but takes it off the Macho Man and now just wants to get out of Dodge. I I find that a little weird. You alluded earlier to uh, maybe he had some problems with the wife, and there's lots of rumors and innuendo about that, that maybe his wife at the time worked to the detriment of his career. Can you add any
2: insight on that? You know, I wasn't – I just started at the time, so I wasn't – involved in a lot of the drama and, and, and backstage isms, if you will. So I wasn't necessarily privy privy to it, but I do know that Ricky Ricky wanted to move on. And whether it was pressure at home, Ricky just not being happy with his position. Um it, it really is as simple as I'm unhappy. I want to move on. And he moved on.
1: So let's get this straight now. So Ricky Steamboats the Intercontinental Champion, he asked for his release Vince grants it and he's probably happy to do so because in Vince's mind uh if he was not paying Ricky gobs of money uh he would have not assumed that he was a big draw for him and is probably happy to get him off his books and Butch Reed is in line for the shot and Butch Reed was a hell of a performer at the time uh and he no-shows some events so you guys start looking around and just randomly find a Memphis guy and say, Oh, we're going to give him this gimmick. And put well, the belt it wasn't on. random per se. It was more, you know, honky-tonk was hot at the time. Well, but come on now, let's talk through this. We're going from one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time, Ricky, the dragon steamboat to the honky-tonk man. And at the time, you know, the perception was that the intercontinental belt was the quote unquote workers title. You had really great in-ring guys and I understand Honky Tonk Man had white hot heat. We've talked about it here on the show, I believe last week against, uh, or when we covered Dusty Rhodes. But is this par for course to go from a Ricky Steamboat type performer in the, with that belt to, a
2: Honky Tonk Man? It didn't seem curious to you at the time. Not necessarily. And I mean, it's funny. You say it was a worker's belt. Who says? <laughs> I mean, because, you know, it, it it's one of those situations. The, the top worker is the guy that makes the most money and is, who is usually the champion, the guy, and that was Hogan and then Savage later on in that case. And the Intercontinental Championship was a prestigious title that uh, was kind of the next guy in line, if you will.
1: Well, I mean, the guys, you know, you ask where that comes from. Well, it comes from, in the years prior to that, guys like Pat Patterson or even Tito Santana, Macho Man, Ricky Steamboat, and now Honky Tonk Man. Is that not a game of which one of these is not like the
2: other, do you? Well, but also you take a look at Honky Tonk Man. I do think Honky Tonk -tonk was a hell of a worker. He was a guy that that worked his gimmick and was able to get heat, carried a lot of heat, and he was the kind of champion that everybody in the arena knew they could beat. Right. Every guy sitting in the arena would sit there and go, oh, that damn Honky Tonk Man, I'd whoop his ass. And he could squeak by and continue to hold on to that championship no matter who he was against, and he would make the baby face. So that's a valuable guy. That's a valuable champion to have, much like Ric Flair did. I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that.
1: Okay, I'm going to move on before I get half hot. (laughs) So uh, let's get back to it here. Now, honky- well, now you want to change no.
0: the subject. honky-tonk. Okay.
1: Well, let's not debate the greatness of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and compare him to the fucking honky-tonk man. Okay, so um, honky-tonk man now has the title. We have randomly selected him, and uh, he is now in a match with the Macho Man. And is this the main event, or is this Saturday Night Main Event,
2: where they're going to face each other? This was uh, the... I believe it was the main event. Okay, It was live on NBC leading into uh, WrestleMania 4 where we did the switch with Andre. and The double ref deal. So I
1: I commonly get this confused, and I want you to clarify for everyone listening as you do for me. What's the difference between the main event and Saturday night's main event?
2: The main event was a Friday night primetime special. It aired in primetime. It was a one-hour show on NBC. Saturday night's main event was a 90-minute show that aired in place of Saturday night's main. I mean, uh, Saturday Night Live on NBC on Saturday nights. So Saturday night's main event was a late-night program that aired in place of Saturday nights. Saturday Night Live, and the main event was a primetime special that aired on NBC uh, eight to nine Eastern time. What was the booking difference between the two as far as the philosophies? The philosophy is is it's simply a matter of television writing. And when you're in prime time, normally you will build to a climax. So you're watching an hour program. You're going to build to the last quarter hour, if you will. And you're going to build to a big climax in the show. Late night programming, Saturday Night Live, Saturday night's main event, is you build everything up front. So all of your marquee stuff is going to happen earlier in programming because you're fighting sleep and you want your audience dwindles as it gets later on in the night. So that's why when you watch Saturday Night Live, all the good stuff is usually at the very beginning and then it gets less and less attractive towards the end of the night. You're fighting sleep. We didn't have VCRs or uh, DVRs and, and things like that back in the day.
1: Well, I think VCRs were around, but VCRs they certainly weren't were, common. But, but not
2: DVRs were sure.
1: Well, I mean, George Jetson may have. So anyway, let's talk about this now. Um, what happens, and do you recall the honky-tonk man
2: refusing to drop the belt? I don't. I've heard that rumor before, but it was, you know, it's a decision made You know, I laugh when people say, oh, well, the guy refused to do something. At the end of the day, and you're going to hear me say this on the show a lot, the decision is Vince McMahon's. So Vince McMahon made the decision to leave the championship on the honky-tonk man or put it on someone else. And if someone had refused to do a job, normally that would be reason enough to take the championship off of them or have them do a job at some point.
1: So maybe the real, maybe a better way to say that is the honky-tonk man lobbied to keep it. Vince went with it. And obviously, since he kept it on him through SummerSlam, he probably agreed that the timing was wrong then and he was doing a fine job gaining some heat for him.
2: Pretty obvious, yeah.
1: Okay, so now that we kind of have that cleared up, let's go ahead and go into WrestleMania 4. Uh, He's in the main event, he being Macho Man, is now in the main event against Ted DiBiase. Uh, Is DiBiase, in your opinion, the best wrestler to never have the world championship?
2: One of, without a doubt. I think Ted DiBiase was being groomed at the time, some say, to be the NWA world heavyweight champion. And when Ted came to the WWF with the Million Dollar Man gimmick, it was viewed as... Here's an opportunity for Ted DiBiase to come into his own and maybe be a WWF champion.
1: So it didn't and he, happen,
2: but he deserved but,
1: it. But Do you believe that that was the original plan? I mean, that would have been, if that really was true, uh, of DiBiase winning the belt at WrestleMania four, that would have been the first time the WrestleMania ended with a champion victorious. That was a
2: heel. I mean, well, Again, you know, you talk about plans and people say, oh, well, this is what they had originally. It's funny when that gets reported or people talk about, well, that's what they had planned. It can go 50-50 either way. And, yes, it was discussed. What if? What would happen if DiBiase were the champion? What would happen if Andre were the champion? You know, what would happen if the Brooklyn Brawler was a champion? You know, you you may discuss all of those things, but the ultimate plan is what happened. And that actually, you know, you sit there and go, okay, well, this is where we want to go. And you had Randy Savage, who's a hell of a heel, and was having a hell of a spike as a babyface at the run. So, as they say, the hotter the babyface, the hotter the heel, and vice versa. So let's talk
1: about that. Um, we're WrestleMania 4, and uh, the show is going off the air. And uh, we've got three people in the ring Miss Elizabeth, Macho Man, and Hulk Hogan. And you guys kind of know where you're going for WrestleMania 5 at this point. So, what are some of the, the subtleties that were programmed into the finish of that show?
2: Well, obviously, having Hulk involved. We right. had Andre out there uh, with DiBiase earlier in the night. We had had. Hogan versus Andre, really number three. And the idea was simply to have Hogan be there at the end with Savage, with the new champion in in Randy Savage and Hulk, Hulk right there by his side. So his buddy is there to to congratulate, congratulate him at the end with Miss Elizabeth and the whole nine yards. And here we have the crowning of a new champion and a new era, if you will.
1: So, let's talk about the Macho Man. Um, you know, I, I think people are kind of in the loop now that the babyfaces make more money in, with the current product because of the way the merchandise works. And I assume that was the case back then. Is that fair to say? Fair to say, yeah. So, there, I know of at least one top person in the WWE now who, you know, would rather be a heel than a babyface, even if being a babyface meant more money. Uh, Would that be fair to say that that was kind of the Macho Man's take with as long as he was a heel? Because in my head, you know, as notorious as he was with penny-pinching and trying to be frugal, so to speak, uh, wouldn't he want to get all the merch money he could? And if he goes back heel in a year, that's pretty much going to dry up?
2: Without a doubt, Randy loved the money of the merchandising and everything that came with it uh being a baby face and all the opportunities that came with it. However, at the time, the WWF was a different place, and frankly, you know, the heels had opportunities, money making opportunities too at the time. Babyface is going to make more. They're going to sell more merchandise. Right. In general. That's always going to be the case, and that's always going to happen, especially in the late 80s at the time. But Randy was a businessman and randy kind of he was more comfortable being a heel he enjoyed being a heel and probably felt that that was his rightful place
1: so now we roll on uh we have this uh, happy scene lots of promos together lots of promotional exp- uh appearances lots of uh cross promotional stuff eight by tens and such posters and whatnot uh, magazine covers the whole nine yards of these three individuals. And we roll on into SummerSlam and at SummerSlam, we have a pretty big main event. Uh, we've got the million dollar man TB Ted DiBiase. We've got Andre the giant and in the opposite corner, we've got the mega powers and now it's a real thing. Randy's wearing it on his trunks. Uh, we've got Hulk Hogan and macho man and in their corner, we've got miss Elizabeth. Uh, and we would see later,
2: That there are some more little subtleties you guys had booked here. Tell us about those. Well, as you're you're looking at the whole year, you know, you're you're booking towards the big event, and at the time, WrestleMania was the big event. We had had a Survivor Series. We hadn't yet had a SummerSlam, and so now we're going in, and it's the end of the summer. We're going to go to pay per view. We're going to have this event called SummerSlam, the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. Got Jesse the Body, who was a color commentator at the time, is a special guest referee. You got Miss Elizabeth in the middle of it. Got Virgil on one side. It was the top guys. Randy Savage was your babyface champion. Ted DiBiase was the nasty, dastardly heel. Chasing the belt. And you got the big, mean, nasty giant on the outside and Andre couldn't work a whole lot at the time. So you had to pick and choose Andre's matches and Andre and Hulk. That was money to have them in a match. It made sense. It also made sense to continue to build the friendship between Randy and Hulk. So you got the mega powers. Remember the handshake on oh, TV? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the mega powers unite. Oh yeah. And it was, it was built as this mega tag team match on pay-per-view was so important. You know, it warranted another pay-per-view and that was a big deal at the time. But again, knowing where you're going, there had to be little things that happen along the way that when you plant seeds, along the way and you can go back and show your audience how these things evolve and people will sit there and they'll say oh i remember yeah they're right they're right i remember that and it's little things that you can now through the macho man's eyes you can see the jealousy you can see the seething and you go back and go you know what, Martha, remember remember that time when Randy's right. But then you got Hulk Hogan on the other side giving you, hey, brother, you know why I didn't do that, and this is what I really meant. We, we built the story through Randy's eyes, and we built the story through Hulk's eyes. So we set up little details that... we would be able to go back and piece this story together over a year when we got to the build for WrestleMania and say, Hey, remember this? And if you've ever had a girlfriend, a wife, or anybody, and you were a little jealous of somebody, maybe they were paying a little bit too much attention to her or she was paying a little bit too much attention to them, your mind will play with you. And you'll start seeing things and hearing things that aren't necessarily there, but they kind of, sort of are in your mind. If your best friend looks at your girlfriend or your wife a little bit too long, maybe they hug each other a little too long. Start Well, what the hell was that about? And we started planning those things with Liz and Hulk and Randy. So refresh
1: everybody's memory about... What was a little risque for WWF at the time in 1988 of what happened in that match in the main event that started to kind of
2: plant some more seeds. Well, it, it, the, the, uh, SummerSlam match was very simple. It was a look, it was a look from Hulk to Liz and a look that upon further examination from a very jealous, macho man, Might have been a little inappropriate. So we did these things. The, the cameraman, the director, everybody, they knew to get the shots, right? But they didn't know what they were getting at the time. I see. Hulk knew. Randy knew. Liz knew. We knew, but, It was a nuance that was going to be told a little bit later on in the story. So at SummerSlam, it was as simple as a look, is all it was.
1: Now, the look, of course, what we're talking about is.
2: um, Uh, It was Hulk looking at Liz, and in Randy's eyes, that look was a little bit too much, and there was lust in his eye. Yeah, even then. The Hulkster had lust in his eyes for Elizabeth. So
1: the deal is Elizabeth has her skirt removed, uh, to reveal some panties below, uh, that distracts the mega bucks and, uh, the mega powers are victorious. But in that moment, that doesn't just distract the bad guys. It distracts Hogan as well.
2: Exactly. With lust in his eye, Yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, you mentioned Jesse Ventura. we got to touch on that. I don't know when we'll get back to him on the podcast. Uh, How uh, was working with Jesse Ventura? At the time, you were doing mostly television production. Is that right? Correct. Uh, So you would have worked closely with Ventura. How was he to work with as a talent at the time?
2: Well, Jesse, actually was great to work with as a talent, and Jesse was fun to produce and fun to work with. Uh, What I did not care for working with Jesse was having to deal with his agent at the time because Jesse was the first guy to have an agent in the business, and I was used to dealing with talent one-on-one, and having to deal through Jesse's agent was challenging, especially back in those days when... He was the only one, but overall, I mean, as a talent working with Jesse, I had a lot of fun with that, but Jesse Ventura, the guy you see now is kind of the same guy that was back then. He had his very opinionated political views and, um, he was Jesse. So let's
1: touch on that for a minute real quick. Uh, what was the situation with him suing for royalties? Do you recall how that came about and what the conversation was, was, was with Vince internally?
2: I remember it was Jesse because we had Coliseum videos, and on the Coliseum videos, the talent was paid royalties if they appeared on the Coliseum videos. Jesse's voice appeared on the Coliseum videos as a color commentator, and there was debate over whether or not he was due royalties because as a commentator, it wasn't like being a wrestler. I believe in Vince's eyes and Jesse was not paid, uh, for his commentary work on the Coliseum videos. So Jesse sued and, and won.
1: So let's talk through that. Cause I've always been curious about this. Was Coliseum uh, video ran as a separate entity from WWF? Yes. So who would have been the owners and what was Hillbilly Jim's involvement?
2: Hillbilly Jim became involved in Coliseum Video at a much later date, and he was simply a spokesman. No For ownership role. No. So uh, Arthur Morowitz and Howard Farber were partners with Vince. Um, if you do a little research on Arthur and Howard, they uh, also produced other videos at the time. Like, and you're being very vague there. I'm not being vague. I said they produced other videos. How about
1: they? Okay, what are the kind of videos that they produce? Give me an example. Adult entertainment. Okay, see, I didn't know that, but I know the way you're being coy there, that there was more to it.
2: Yeah, so they, they owned a company called H&H Video that produced uh, adult entertainment, yes.
1: Uh, something that you and I would like or something that some of your friends would like?
2: Well, you know, I had a collection, uh, quite a few of, okay. of the... I know well, how you in- It was... It was research. Okay, cool. But Coliseum Video was a a separate entity that handled all the video uh, production and distribution for WWF. And
1: a lot of people who are listening may be a little judgmental about, you know, the revelation of that. But in reality, that industry is always kind of on the cutting edge uh, of that type of video delivery service, whether it was uh, back with – Beta or VHS or Laserdisc or Blu-ray or HD DVD.
2: You ever see? You ever see the BOD? movie Boogie Nights? Yes. The gentleman who played the Colonel, Burt Reynolds' character. N- no. Oh, the old the man. older gentleman that yep. that came to Burt Reynolds' character yes. and said, "Hey, kid, or we're making the move from film to video." Right was very, very loosely based on Arthur Morowitz and Howard Farber, more Arthur Morowitz, because Arthur was a visionary and ahead of his time, and H&H Video were one of the first to go from film to tape in that industry, and they were very, very successful. Arthur was the godfather of of video back in the day.
1: So carry me through... um as we talk about call video, would that wouldn't they be the person who was paying the royalties? Or why did they, why did Vince have to pay it out of his end? I guess is what I don't get.
2: Well, it was simply because Vince paid the royalties to the talent and the talent was paid. So he probably he, the got company a, came back and was paid for you know, royalties off of sales and distribution, and then the talent was paid from that.
1: So it's fair to say that Vince or WWF, whatever you want to call it, didn't get a third of that partnership, they got a much larger portion since they were creating the content and paying on the royalties.
2: You know, I don't know exactly what the split was, was, but I, you know, I I don't really know, but I'm sure it was more than a third. When you were in WrestleMania
1: five, did you get royalties?
2: I never got royalties, but that's a whole nother subject.
1: Okay. Uh, you're going to see for those royalties.
2: (laughs) You know, I was I was taken uh, very good care of, and I was paid. I was a producer and worked behind the scenes, so I, I was a salaried employee in addition to my talent duties. So, so no royalties. So no royalties. Uh,
1: carry everybody through, and you know, I don't want you to necessarily name any names. Uh, let's not let's not use Hogan as an example uh, because we know he's probably on a separate deal. Let's use someone mid card, and I don't mean to say that disparagingly at all. Well, let's say a uh, bushwhacker. What would a royalty have been for back in those days for being on a videotape? Can you take a stab at it? And and I know we're just... I don't know. I I,
2: I don't know. I really don't know. I know that that some of the guys early on when they uh, did the first action figures, that some of those royalties were upwards of like $75,000 for a quarter. Wow. For a quarter? For a quarter. So a guy
1: could have made... North of two fifty a year, just on figure sales. Back in the day, yeah. And when you're saying back in the day, you mean the first set with LJN, probably first set,
2: yeah, the LJN stuff, you know, Hillbilly Jim, Iron Sheik, Volkoff, and those guys.
1: Do you remember ever hearing of a really big royalty check from video sales, or was that not a, a major revenue stream?
2: It was, but I, you know, to say that this percentage went to uh, or came from Coliseum Video or videos like that, I wouldn't have a clue.
1: Do you have any idea what the formula was? I don't okay uh is it true? I'm just ballparking here. I believe Jesse got several hundred thousand dollars, not quite a million but several hundred thousand I think it was eight hundred That's what I heard too and I just wanted to wanted to kind of confirm that with you yeah, okay. it was
2: public record i mean it, it was it was a very publicized case
1: okay, so now we're uh we're done with summerslam eighty eight uh the, seats the have started. Next major show, of course, is the Survivor Series and, uh, curious through, you know, how you guys continue to plant these seeds at Survivor Series in 1988.
2: Well, the idea of the Survivor Series was, was Randy at the end and Hulk and Randy, they had the mega powers and face. I don't even remember who they faced on the other side, but the end of the match again we went from the end of Summerslam and hulk having lust in his eyes to hulk taking it to the next level and actually touching elizabeth in a lustful way through the eyes of the macho man and at the end of the match randy had picked elizabeth up and put her up on his shoulder as he often did after a victory and Did his macho man pose with the finger in the air and Liz on his shoulder. And Hogan from behind came and placed his hand upon the derriere of Miss Elizabeth. And through the eyes of a jealous macho man, he had crossed the line from friend to lustful and just inappropriate. So, um,
1: after the match, Hogan, you know, is acting friendly and Jesse Ventura picks up on it and it's the first time it's acknowledged on television. So you guys at this point are really letting the audience know where you're headed. And for those of you keeping score at home, so you don't tweet us and remind us it's the mega powers, Hercules, Coco beware and hillbilly Jim. Uh, which is a pretty hodgepodge group of folks. And you were making a face off mic right now. And they are wrestling the Twin Towers, uh, Ted DiBiase, Haku, and everyone's favorite, the Red Rooster. Uh, the, heel, uh, the heel faction, uh, here, folks. as far as managers go, uh, have uh, Slick, Bobby Hannon and Virgil on the outside, uh, compared to only Miss Elizabeth on the other side. And these uh, titans of the industry got 29 minutes in their match. Um, Lots to talk about as far as the other characters there, but before we get to that and touch on any of it, uh, obviously it's a a big call right here to go ahead and get Ventura to acknowledge it on commentary because you guys have started to sow these seeds at the previous two pay-per-views, but now you're actually addressing it on air.
2: Well, yes, but again, Jesse didn't really realize what he was addressing. Oh, you hadn't smartened him up either. And smartened anybody up? Okay, we just let everything play out. Well, Macho and Man was selling it. There was a big facial. There, there was there a was, reaction. There, there, yeah. there were reactions. Sure, but it wasn't. It wasn't the traditional. Oh my God! You know, let's go split them up right now, and and let's let this thing build. They didn't even address it between Randy and and Hulk at the time. It was Jesse stirring the pot and looks and back and forth, but you know, it wasn't overt. It wasn't this gigantic angle that all of a sudden they hate each other. It was, it was that slow build and that slow burn. And again, anybody that has ever been in a relationship where you've seen it happen, you can relate to it for the most part.
1: Yeah. Two two quick questions here about other characters in the match. Uh, Coco, beware. A lot of people. I know you're laughing. Hall of Famer. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. You're not. Friendly reminder. Uh, don't understand Never that will be. At all. But Coco's in somehow. Uh, my Memphis buddies tell me that Coco was one hell of a hand in Memphis and had a phenomenal dropkick and was a tremendous performer.
2: Awesome. It, is this his only main event in the WWF? I believe so, yeah. Coco was was a hell of a talent back in the day. You know, he he was uh, throughout Mid-South, and I'm talking, when I say Mid-South, I mean Tennessee, but also Mid-South for Watts as well. Okay, Coco came in. Coco was a hell of a worker, but he was small. Right. And, you know, he wasn't uh, in Memphis. He was a Giant. Right. But, you know, you get in the land of the Giants up in WWF, and... He wasn't a big guy. Double tough son of a bitch in real life. Would um, you consider Coco be where a cruiserweight? <laughs> no, I think I think Coco was over that two thirty mark, so I don't know if I'd consider Coco a cruiserweight or not. I had to ask him. At
1: least not to his face. Let's um let's move on to everyone's favorite and I know yours. The Red Rooster. Probably not something we're going to talk about on the show anytime soon, so let's go ahead and cover this. Uh, famous story that Terry Taylor has put out there. Uh, apparently, when Vince was passing out gimmicks, it was Red Rooster and Mr. Perfect, and he just
2: uh, drew the short straw and got the Red Rooster. Yeah, but let it, me tell you what happened on that day. Okay, We, we have the, the box of gimmicks that we, <laughs> that we like to call it, and it's it's a box, and it's got paper in it with all these different gimmicks. And so whenever a new guy would come in, we would put a blindfold on somebody and they would reach into the box of gimmicks and they would pull out a gimmick. And whoever the next appointment was was with, we would say, "Okay, you're going to be the Red Rooster. You're going to be Mr. Perfect. Hey, you guys are going to be bushwhackers. That's how it happened. Uh, So Terry Taylor, of course, whatever comes out of his mouth is the absolute God's honest truth. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, Conrad, I'm going to tell you something about Mr. Perfect and how that gimmick came about. As I've said about all I need to say about the cockadoodle doo guy. Um, Before you tell the story, was the Red Rooster a rib? No, absolutely
1: not. It wasn't a rib? You on- know,
2: just like Dusty Rhodes, and you talk about that being a rib, and people people that have never spent a single day running a company or ever have a company themselves, you know, I I want those of you critics out there that still think that dusty Rhodes was a rib and think that the red rooster was a rib. And I don't know. Virgil was a rib. Think about if you had your own company, how many business decisions would you make as a business owner for your business as a joke, just to bust on somebody, how much money would you invest in television time and character development and everything else under the sun as a joke? Does that make any sense to anybody? You're a business owner. Yes. Would you bring someone in and just as a joke, spend millions of dollars on them, just so you can sit back and laugh at them while they... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: Fiddle farting around with your money and your investment?
1: Okay. I didn't mention this last week, so... With that in mind, since Vince would never do that because it's crazy, I want you to defend Akeem, the African dream, not the American dream, and the way one-man gang was made to dance, very similar to the way maybe somebody used to shuck and jive in the ring before they dropped a bionic elbow on somebody. Steal
2: from the best.
1: But instead of the American dream, he's the African dream, but he's a white man who dances like...
2: That wasn't a rib either. That was not a rib,
1: no. Jesus. I just Again, it's not a rib. It's a business How bad do you hate to pork go ahead? for you to say, no, not a rib, no, not a rib, no, not a rib. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, let, let's get back to the original question. And I was with the one-man gang here recently and had a great time reminiscing with them because we had a whole lot of time to reminisce, and it was a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, it's about... Uh, Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect. Yes, sir. And Mr. Perfect was a gimmick that Pat Patterson, in in describing Kurt Hennig and how Kurt was so good at everything that he did. And it was kind of Kurt Hennig who wanted to be the all-around uh, sportsman and the best at everything. He was the best hunter. He was the best fisherman. He could do this. He could do that. And as Pat is explaining all this, And he goes, and he hits the golf ball, and it goes right in the hole, and he hits the baseball, and boom, out of the park, and he he kills the biggest deer, and he gets the biggest fish, and oh, my God. And it was like, well, he's perfect. Everything he does is perfect. So the truth is, is that when we reached into the gimmick box, we pulled out Mr. Perfect (laughs) for Kurt Hennig, and then the next one was... (laughs) You know, cock doo man. No. And cock doo man got his gimmick from Vince McMahon thinking he was cocky and looked at him as a, the cock of the walk, how he saw himself, he being Terry Taylor, whose goal in life was to imitate Ric Flair and saw him as a rooster, as a Banny rooster. And I said, God, yeah, he's the red rooster. And gave this gimmick asked him to work it a certain way. Terry, in his way, looked at it as a rib, did not embrace it, did not do it to the best of his ability, and it failed. But to this day, more people will still refer to Paul W. Taylor as the red rooster before they will call him Terry Taylor, or before they will call him whatever other ridiculous gimmicks that they did with him down south when he was what? What was he? The the three hundred dollar man or something down there? Wow. Like that wasn't a rib and that wasn't a rip off on another gimmick that was done by someone else? Was the uh, the walk that you guys had him do a
1: nod to Ric Flair?
2: No, that was the rock walk he did. The walk, the walk that we wanted him to do was basically to strut like a rooster.
1: Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about...
2: Uh, so you're saying Ric Flair walk, walks like a rooster? Okay. That's what you said.
1: You compared him to the honky-tonk man, and I can't wait to tell him. he's gonna. Uh, you're going to get a 3 a.m. promo very soon. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead now. We're done with Survivor Series 88. We're rolling into the new year. We're back on track here for the Mega Powers. It's 1989, and uh, very early in the year, we go to one of the best events of the year, the Royal Rumble. Right. Uh, and there had been previous Rumbles prior to this, but this is going to be an interesting one because both the Macho Man and and The Ultimate Warrior, and Hulk Hogan are all in this one. Uh, at some point, Macho Man is tied up with uh, Bad News Brown. Hogan dumps them both out at the same time, and Savage is pissed. They manage to patch things up afterwards, but for a few minutes, there's a very tense moment. Elizabeth's kind of in the middle, uh, and then cooler heads prevail. They hug it out, and uh, the night goes on. So now you're really starting...
2: Now we're getting into it because Hogan has now cost Randy the victory at the Royal Rumble. So now it's it's progressing, it's getting physical between the two. So you had your initial look, you had the hand on the Derriere, you got Hogan dumping Randy out over the top rope and eliminating him at the Royal Rumble, but they're still the mega powers. So they're still the strongest team there is. And along the way, here come the Twin Towers, Akeem, the African Dream, and the big boss man with their manager, Slick. And we get to the main event, which is the Friday night primetime special on NBC, the Mega Powers versus the Twin Towers with Slick in one corner and Miss Elizabeth in the Mega Powers corner. And we get there, and that was the night that, Randy took a bump on the outside of the ring and wiped out Elizabeth on the floor. Elizabeth's knocked out cold. Randy gets pulled back into the ring and is in the ring getting the crap beat out of him by the mega powers. When Hulk sees Elizabeth down and hurt, what, what, he, he has to take care of Elizabeth. So Hulk scoops Elizabeth up and takes her to the back to the doctor in the backstage area leaving Randy in the ring by himself to fight off the Twin Towers while Hulk is left with his love, Miss Elizabeth.
1: Now, this is actually live.
2: Live, live.
1: And there is a famous um, leak that was really popular with the tape trading community in the 90s uh, where you can hear what I believe to be an NBC executive giving a countdown to Hogan. Hogan's out of character standing around in the back, hanging out and chaos ensues. What was your memory of that?
2: Have you ever died a slow death?
1: No, but you have a few times. I
2: think, (laughs) you know what? That's going to be a show here pretty soon too. Um, yeah, we were on the air and they were trying to... They. They being, well, production people and okay. and stage hands to, to let Hulk know that we were on the air. And Hulk not getting the clue and is, is trying to ask um, how much time until we come back live. And we were live. And Hulk was a little bit out of character. and Yeah, that made air. So anyone who taped it live on its first run... Got that. ...would have gotten Hulk asking for the time.
1: And so they're in the back, and um, they're going to go ahead and have Miss Elizabeth on a stretcher. Hogan and Savage are going to confront each other. Hogan attacks. uh, No, Savage savage attacked. I'm sorry. Savage attacks Hogan, hits him with the uh, Winged Eagle Championship, and Hogan would later write in his book that that gave him a concussion and he was seriously injured and wasn't sure if he could
2: continue. Well, Randy, giving you any kind of blow would uh, be grounds for a concussion <laughs> back in those days. But, um, but no, I, I don't know if Hulk actually had a concussion or not. I Scarrilla Monsoon would say I would highly doubt it.
1: Um, off camera, who would have been? Uh, you've told me before, uh, and you, uh, maybe we haven't shared it on the show. What level of involvement did NBC have in the main event programs that you guys aired with them?
2: Well, they were co-produced with Dick Ebersol's company, and they had a lot of heavy involvement in it. They they wrote a lot of scripts and they had a lot to do with the production of it, and they were very very much heavily involved. It was co-promotion.
1: But you're producing television at the time, so where would where would you have been in this backstage scene? At that point.
2: I was running <laughs> me running. I was running from Gorilla back to the uh medic scene okay. in my full brother love gear in a headset in a headset, yes. Okay. Um the show goes off the air
1: with uh an injured Hogan roaming the halls. Is that right? Yes. And now to kind of backtrack WrestleMania 4 they're all in the ring together. One big happy family. SummerSlam. He looks maybe a little too long at Miss Elizabeth. Must in on.
0: his eye. Uh-huh.
1: Survivor Series. Hoist her up on the shoulder. Hand on the derriere. Maybe a little too Getting long. Getting a
2: freebie. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Royal Rumble. Hogan dumps Savage out. Trying to impress Elizabeth. Huh. Now, Main event. Hogan tries to rescue Miss Elizabeth. Leaving me in the
2: ring to fight and fare for myself while you take my manager back to the back to do who knows what.
1: WrestleMania Five is here now. We are back in Atlantic City. Uh we're at the Trump Plaza. Uh we talked um at length you and I once before about what a partner Donald Trump was, he's obviously very timely to discuss
2: right now, uh,
1: share with everybody, uh, what it was like dealing with him for those
2: two WrestleManias. Donald Trump was a joy to deal with. He really was true professional. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. And he did it first class. Um, he was a great partner. He was a great partner to promote with. He was a great partner to rent the building from. He was a great partner to stay in his beautiful hotels and again over delivered he was absolutely excellent
1: so um
2: we're here now
1: it's going to be a really big main event where would you rate WrestleMania 5 at the time amongst the other Wrestlemanias obviously as far as uh interest and dollars WrestleMania 3 would have still trumped it i'm sure but would it be second all time would you think at the time of the yes. 5 yes yes okay. I'd say three
2: was number one, uh, right.
1: and five was number two. And there's, there is a backstory that maybe a lot of people don't know. Savage comes out to the ring with a wrapped-up elbow. Tell everybody what was up with that.
2: Oh, uh, Randy, for the days leading up to WrestleMania, his elbow was infected and had a staph infection, So, which is very, very dangerous if, if that staph infection gets to your heart. And so we had doctors there that were sucking out the infection out of Randy's elbow. He probably, that, Google that if you have no idea what yeah, that is. It's worth looking at. And, you know, Randy for all intents and purposes, maybe probably shouldn't have wrestled. He was running maybe, a fever. Maybe probably. Maybe probably should have, you know, wrestled because he, he had a very serious infection in his arm but there was no one that would have been able to stop him and or tell him no randy you can't go do the match
1: current wwe i know you're not there but just guess any chance somebody would wrestle in that condition today no
2: there there's no one there that would allow them to wrestle in that condition today i'm not saying that a roman reigns wouldn't say i can go and want to go out there right right right.
1: that's with, what i meant just, you you know, it john seems like-
2: cena would would probably have to have both of his legs broken and um, kneecaps removed. Yeah, and he'd still probably try and find a way to get to the ring.
1: The sliding in part would probably be easier with no yes. kneecaps. Um, so let's talk about the match. Uh, I, I think this is probably one of Hogan's
2: best matches he's had in a big time pay-per-view ever. Would you disagree with that? No, it was. it was an excellent match because it was a real story. And by the time that we had gotten there now between the main event and then WrestleMania, you you're hearing Randy and you're seeing the footage and Randy's showing you the footage and saying, see that look in his eyes right there. That's a look of lust looking at
0: Elizabeth lust in your eye.
2: Uh-huh. And then we get there and there you are. You're up. You're trying for a free grab. Mm hmm. Then you get there, and it's not enough to try and take freebies and liberties with Elizabeth. You gotta show me up, throw me over the rope, eliminate the macho man. But it all came to a head when I'm in the ring and you tink Elizabeth in the back to do who knows what. You left me out there. Feed me to the wolves. So all this shit through Randy's eyes. Then on the backside, you got Hulk. Who's who's sitting there telling you, man, I was there with you. My God, we're in the ring. There was no one happier at SummerSlam than me. I I wasn't looking at Liz with lust in my eyes. I'm looking at her with love in my eyes because I love you guys, man. We're the mega powers. You get to Survivor Series. Grabbing her backside, my God, no. You were so jacked up, brother. You had her up and you had her on your shoulders. And I just reached up because your delts were swelling and she was about to fall. And I steadied her with my hand so she wouldn't fall. Man, we got to the Royal Rumbles every man for himself. I thought Bad News Brown was going to eliminate you took the opportunity. Sorry, you got eliminated. And then you get to the main event, Hulk Hogan, and I I saw her. She was taken out, man. You didn't even know how bad she was hurt. I had to get her some help because you were stuck in the ring, man. You were doing great on your own. So I took her back to the back to get her the help that she needed. And you came back there and you saw me over her. And I tried to tell you, hey, man, she's going to be okay but instead you took it out on me. Well, now it is personal between you and me. And now I'm going to take something that means so much. Yeah, I'm going to take that championship, but it was, it was just beautifully built over an entire year to get to the mega powers explode, which
1: was really a phenomenal pay-per-view. Uh, a nice ninety nine is my absolute favorite year in wrestling. And, you know, one of the things that I think I read a long time ago that I really liked uh was explaining villains. And it said, you know, what makes a great bad guy is that bad guys never think they're doing anything bad. They believe in what they're doing. Right. And and this is a perfect example of that because Macho Man is technically not doing anything heelish here. Um and you could do- totally see both sides. Um at this point in 1989, we're several years into Hulkamania. Would you say that people had started to, um, maybe some of his popularity started to wane a little bit? People had grown a little tired of it. Not the hardcore fan, but I just wonder just in the general public, had it peaked and now it was maybe dipping just a little
2: bit? Not yet. Not yet.
1: So you would say 1989 revenues, in your estimation, were higher than 88? Yeah. And 88, in your estimation, was higher than 87? Yeah. Okay.
2: And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you the, the even crazier thing.
1: It, it, it went down in 90. Can we agree on that?
2: Well, yeah, because you had Warrior on top.
1: All right. We'll talk about that another time. But
2: where it really got crazy, though, is when Hogan dropped the title to Warrior a year later. And the audience sat through five hours of television tapings. They had seen Ultimate Warrior three times. Hogan was never went out through the whole taping until the end of the night. And this is like quarter to midnight. Now, the audience has been there since 7 o'clock in the evening. And we're 15 minutes to the strike of midnight. Before Hogan comes out, and I just remember the places erupting. And this it, is '90. You're talking about? Yes, this is the this is the television tapings after Ho, after Warrior champion, okay. beating Hogan in Toronto, and coming out. We did like uh, Niagara Falls, Glens Falls, Buffalo up there. Hulk was. Like a brand new guy walking on water.
1: I got to ask, you know, I wasn't going to ask this today since we're talking about five, but WrestleMania six, the match is over. Hogan's lost. Uh, The ref immediately goes and grabs the belts and starts to give them to the ultimate warrior. Hogan corrects that real quick. The belts magically go back where they were. Hogan goes and picks the belt up. And presents the Warrior with his World Championship belt and raises his hand. In doing that, is that for Warrior or is that for Hogan? That was for Warrior. That Come was on, for- Bruce. You don't think that's Hogan stealing some thunder from Warrior? For him to be the babyface... And not just let him have his moment and get out of the damn oh ring.
2: Mike, is everything a conspiracy? No, it was for Hogan to sprinkle the Hulk dust on Warrior by going, here you go, pass the torch. Literally, passing the torch. Here's the championship. Way to go, big boy. Raise his hand. The rule, the rule of MLT radio never stops. Never stops. Really agree to this so okay. I suppose it was Hogan's Hogan's uh, call to follow him back on the on the riding little ring that they went to. Which is the, the coolest
1: thing y'all ever did, and I want one of those real bad. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to just ride that up and down my road here. No. So let's run through, um, you know, I don't know that I, I put this together into the last few years, but... What a great string of opponents the Macho Man had at WrestleMania. Let's start with WrestleMania 3. Uh, he's against Ricky Steamboat. Phenomenal match. WrestleMania 4, Ted DiBiase. Awesome match. WrestleMania 5, the end of a year long storyline against the biggest star in the history of the business, Hulk Hogan. Hell of a match. WrestleMania 6, he's against the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Pretty big time opponent, no matter what the title is. Uh, and now, then WrestleMania 7, retirement match against the Ultimate Warrior. Keep well, you it.
2: have to go downhill somewhere.
1: Well, but at the time, the Warrior was a top act. Whether we like it or not, you booked the shit. Don't make that hand job motion to me. And then WrestleMania 8, Ric Flair. What a string of opponents where you've got Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, Ricky Steamboat, Ted DiBiase, American Dream Dusty Rhodes, and Ric Flair. What a run of WrestleMania opponents. And who could forget WrestleMania, uh, 10 against crush. I mean, what a run you guys gave him
2: in every, no wonder he left. And every single one of those guys were better for having working with Randy Savage. So I know we'll, we'll probably
1: have an opportunity to talk about it again later, but, um, what was the, uh, what was the mood when Randy left?
2: I don't know if there was necessarily a move. It kind of came out of the blue. And it was simply, we met at the studio, not at the studio. We met at the Towers in Stanford. We were going to drive to television, which was like Bushkill, New York, or somewhere in the Poconos. And it was going to be uh, myself, Vince, Pat Patterson, and Shane McMahon. And Randy Savage. And we were all going to ride, and we were waiting and wait and waiting and waiting, and no Vince. And all of a sudden, Vince pulls up, doesn't even say hello, goes upstairs into the office. We're still sitting downstairs in the car, gets back in the car. And before we even made it out of the garage, Vince told us, well, guys... Randy Savage is now the proud property of WCW. We're like, what happened? He's gone. to be on WCW. Saturday night. Called me last night. Had to get drunk to call me. And... That was it. I mean, that was that was the extent of it. So there was talk the previous week. I just read
1: this this week. Uh, I read it on Squared Circle on Reddit, and uh, hopefully someone hears us talking about Squared Circle on Reddit and gives us a mention there. He gives the show a little love. Supposedly the week before Vince makes the announcement on Raw that Randy's gone from the Federation, uh, he makes some sort of comment, Savage does, about being in an uncomfortable seat, not wanting to be in that seat anymore. And Vince says something like, "But it's a not it's a really nice seat." Is that some sort of reference to his spot in the company and his wanting to wrestle and Vince wanting to go with the youth movement? Wow. Where do you people come up with these things? So that's a no, I guess. So let's ask. Let's let's talk about that though. Did you know that Randy wanted to wrestle? Was that expressed? And do you feel like he was? I mean, obviously he still wanted to wrestle. He wrestled many years after that. Is one of the reasons he left? He wanted to wrestle. It, was that decision based on just his desire for the
2: athleticism, or the spotlight, or was it more money? I think it was more money and. Because it was the opposite that what we were hearing, what Randy wanting to get out of the ring, no more bumps, be a part of the office, help us with booking, help us write TV, learn the business side. As of far it. as you know, the, the rumors
1: and innuendo that have been online for years and years about Randy wanting to continue wrestling in a in a top spot and having a program with Shawn Michaels, that was going to be for roughly a year. That was all bullshit. And he wanted to be in
2: the office. Randy wanted to be a color guy. Randy wanted to be in the office. Randy wanted to help with the booking and writing the TV. And these are things Randy said to me personally. Now, Randy would make jokes when, you know, so-and-so would get hurt or something would happen and we'd have to call Randy and say, Hey, can you fill in here? So-and-so is going to be out for six weeks right, or what right. have you. Oh, yeah, you got to call the old man, come in and, uh, fix everything and but that was a joke
1: but it wasn't what
2: he really wanted to do
1: he didn't feel
2: not for not from what he was saying to me at the time no and i and randy and i would go out almost every night during that period he was in stanford two quick questions um
1: do you have any idea what macho man was making before he left ballpark probably
2: close to half million dollars
1: so pretty good. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially considering, you know, you're doing well, he also had stuff. the
2: Slim Jim commercial too. So they were paying him good too. That's,
1: yeah, I was going to say that had to be pretty decent money. Listen, we can't talk about him leaving without talking about the thing that everybody wants to talk about. What's that? Stephanie McMahon. What about it? Well, address the rumor. Was it ever addressed in the inner circle, behind the scenes? Was there, I'm sure there was discussion. When did you first hear about it? Who told you? Where do you weigh in on it? True or not true?
2: Well, you know, this rampant rumor everyone has talked about, it's funny. I didn't even hear this rampant rumor until probably 2006, maybe 2007. So, And I heard it from a writer on the writer's team. Who wasn't there back then? Who wasn't there back then? Who would you hear from? little Jewish kid. Okay, roll tide.
1: So, um, you know, you kind of dodged. Do you believe it or no? Do I believe? Do, Do you believe that Randy Savage had sex with Stephanie McMahon, perhaps at underage, and Vince found out about it, and that's the reason he was seemingly whitewashed from ever being discussed or involved in any WWE programming for years to come? I don't.
2: I really don't. I, I just, I think I would have heard something about it being right there. Given, if they did, if they did, and hit it, man, kudos to them for being able to hide it for all those years. But I, like I said, I didn't hear that for until ten years after Randy was gone, at least. Given
1: the fact that they have, they welcomed everyone back: Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. McFoley Foley after he trashed him, Stone Cold after some rough patches, Bret Hart after he trashed him, The Warrior, Hogan, on down the lip, piper. So there's a chance for me still? Probably not. Oh, okay. Um, nah. What, what, especially not after this podcast. What, what, uh, what do you think it was that kept Randy alienated for so
2: long? I don't know. I really and truly don't know. I don't know if it was simply Randy leaving at a time when Vince, there were a couple guys Vince thought would never leave. And Randy was one of them. Sean was one of them. Hogan was one of them. Hogan was one of them. And Hogan left and came back. Yeah, but you know, I I don't know if, (laughs) if Hogan was one of those that they looked at and said, he'll never leave. It was more like a, He'll be back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, Randy, I think, was viewed, he'll never leave. I, I've talked to some old-timers over the, over the years who,
1: you know, maybe weren't as big of a Macho Man fan as seemingly the casual fans are because they felt like his in-ring work was not totally up to snuff. I always thought he had great matches. Um, a lot of those guys, I shouldn't say a lot, a few of the guys I've talked to over the years classified him As just an average worker Um, But one of the things that everybody hears a lot of Is that he was notorious for scripting everything Page by page by page by page And Steamboat has talked about how long And how many pages the script was For the famous WrestleMania 3 match Do you remember there being any ribbing or uneasiness Or just talk of Randy's obsession With scripting everything in a match beforehand?
2: No, because I don't think with the exception of the uh, Steamboat match at WrestleMania 3 that Randy was that paranoid and, and that he had to script all of his matches. You know, like the story I told about Dusty and Randy and us, we had the match laid out, but it wasn't this obsessive script that you had to follow. We had fun with it and went out. Randy liked to know what he was doing. Randy liked to have a good idea and work on things ahead of time. But I don't know that he was nearly as obsessive compulsive as people like to paint him.
1: I would classify him as a top 10 performer all the time. Would you agree with that? I would would uh, would you put him in that same category as just in-ring work beyond I'm not saying interviews and charisma and all that. We're just talking about you know, shoulder tackle, headlock takedown. Yeah, Deep but you got
2: to put it all in there because it was a whole package. I Randy's agree. intensity and Randy's look and his intensity and his charisma is what made him.
1: Well, I don't disagree, and I think he was the catalyst for WrestleMania Five being what it was. No doubt. Uh, and that's clear because, as you said, it was probably the second biggest WrestleMania of all time at that point. Business took a big dip from that year forward. And uh, the match people still talk about the most from WrestleMania seven. is his match with warrior. It's not slaughter and Hogan. Uh, so the legacy of the macho man will go on forever. Is there anything you want to kind of leave us with as we talk about the, when the mega powers explode, did we kind of cover all the major points and what I believe is one of the best angles you guys ever did?
2: Yeah. I I think that it, was something that just showed what you could do if you planned ahead and stuck with the plan and you had the right talent in the right places it told a beautiful story everybody got it they got it along the way but then when when we went back and told them the story again everybody was invested in it and everybody got it and everyone involved hulk elizabeth randy they were they were made that much bigger throughout that entire year of telling that story. So I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was one of the best stories that, that we had ever told.
1: Well, I don't disagree. I think it's one of the absolute best. And, uh, before we get out of here and put a bow on WrestleMania five, because I don't know when we'll get back to it. That was the WrestleMania debut of a famous character and in his interview segment. Uh, that's probably near and dear to your, your heart, the brother love show. Uh, and, uh, Rowdy, Roddy Piper was involved in that. Do you got any quick memories you'd like to uh, go ahead and throw out about WrestleMania five and your involvement <laughs> in that show?
2: Well, it was my first WrestleMania and it was, I had the privilege of working it with Roddy Piper who i had never worked with before and didn't know, but I had stolen so much from Piper. And For those of you keeping score
1: at home, uh, after WrestleMania three, Piper goes to Hollywood, starts making movies, works a retirement angle. So we're two WrestleManias after that before we really see him on main programming again. Uh, so from WrestleMania three to WrestleMania five, there is a Piper hiatus. You come in after three, so you guys wouldn't have necessarily crossed paths in New York at that point.
2: Correct. And and I'm out doing the Brother Love show, which was. Anybody that came in after Roddy Piper, everything was compared to Piper's Pit. And I kind of got the comparisons. They stopped because, well, mine lasted. And it was just such a natural. I stole so much from Roddy. Just he was so great. And to be able to work with him on the grandest stage of them all was a dream come true. And we got to work with Morton Downey Jr., who was a, a talk show host at the time. And he was very famous and a celebrity in his own right. But that had to be one of the most fun days ever. Um, the the lead-up, me having to go out to Denver and, and meet with Roddy and explain the concept to him, was, was fun as well. And just getting to know Roddy.
1: It seems like that. Sort of a long friendship. It seems like that segment went kind of long. Was that the original way it was supposed to go?
2: No. No. Once I left, you know, uh, it it went off the tracks. <laughs> it took a while to get back because on. Because
1: of Downey or because of Piper or both? Combination of both, yeah. Live TV, what are they going to do, right? There you go. Uh, do you still have the kilt? I do. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I sure do. One of the very few things that I have with my... Brother love uh, genre stuff.
1: Uh, WrestleMania 5, um, you know, we've talked about this angle now for quite a while. The mega powers explode. Between 4 and 5, were you just working television production or were you involved in the creative writing aspect of the show at that point?
2: A little bit of both, but mainly television production.
1: So would you have been in the meeting when this is first kind of pitched and put together about the year-long angle and all the little
2: subtleties? I was brought into that, yeah, in the very beginning because they had to have someone Heads from up on where the shots production were be. On to make sure that we get all these things throughout the year.
1: Was Kevin Dunn in those meetings?
2: No. So you would relay
1: that to Kevin Dunn and his crew in the truck? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, man, I appreciate uh oh, WrestleMania Five. Uh, you got a talent payoff. What was it?
2: A hell of a payoff. Five digits? Yes. Okay. Cool.
1: It was very cool. It was the biggest payoff I've ever had. No royalties, though.
2: No royalties. Didn't need them after but that. But a hell whatever. of a payoff. A hell of a payday.
1: Well, Bruce, I appreciate you uh, catching everybody up on what happened when this week. And here's the deal, guys. If you'd like to ask us a question, you want us to cover your topic, you want me to grill Bruce on your uh, favorite little piece of history you'd like to know more about all you've got to do is tweet the show what's the Twitter handle I need to hit up Bruce
2: Bruce Pritchard
1: you can hit up Bruce Pritchard or at Pritchard show uh, that's the official show account or just go ahead and use hashtag love to know and we'll cover it next week right here on something to wrestle with hit us with an oh yeah Mr. Love
2: mm, yeah dig it